Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Dr. Fred Moss, MD, is the foremost expert on delivering your true voice into the world so that it can heal. Your voice matters. Your voice can heal. Dr. Fred has been actively practicing in the mental health field internationally for over 40 years as a psychiatrist, has been an unwavering stand for the transformation of prevailing, disempowering conversation that encompasses the industry globally. He is a firm believer that conversation, communication, creativity, and human connection are ultimately at the source of all healing of all conditions in all fields. Along with being a highly successful restorative transformational coach, his signature technology, True Voice Podcasting, is for people who are ready to take their lives back by speaking their authentic message into the world. TVP is designed to guide people from all walks of life who are ready to rediscover the confidence and courage necessary to bring their full and real humanity back into all areas of their life. Dr. Fred's conversation and talks are designed to be thought-provoking and compelling and leave audiences refreshed and revitalized with a sense of what it really means to be a human being. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Fred, Dr. Moss. What do you like? Dr. Fred's cool. Dr. Dr. Fred's good. Okay, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So share the podcast with someone you know, repost my anything on social media. If you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit, share it with them. This podcast has grown completely organically. I've never done advertising. I've never done anything to boost the podcast. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. And we are coming up on a million downloads, which is amazing. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, you can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the $5, 10 or $20 level or any other denomination. And my $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. For a while, I was doing them for all the supporters, but now I am closing that down to just the $20 a month supporters. I really want to honor those who are really committed to supporting the podcast. So thank you so much. And I just want to point out what a difference this makes for me. The podcast is just supported by me. Uh, I don't have advertisers yet, although I would love some. I don't have sponsors, although that would be great. So right now the, the podcast is supported by you all. And I'm so grateful if you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners, trying to do my best to be quick to respond. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. That is super important. Um, Podcasts show up in people's algorithms is by other people subscribing and rating and reviews being higher. I also love reading the reviews so you can rate the podcast, but you can also review the podcast. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively 
raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. Let's get down to business. I want to start with the question that you end with, which is, what does it mean right now to be a human being in this world? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Being a human being doesn't, isn't, um, isn't a function of the external circumstances that we're living in. So it means the same thing today as it meant in Socrates' time, as it meant in the 70s, as it meant, uh, you know, in 1492. Being a human is being a human. And being a human takes into consideration all the things that are happening externally, whether they are perceived as being bad or wrong or good or right or, you know, all those things that we're concerned with. And we often like to describe what it means to be a human being based on our interrelationship with the world around us. But being a human being, if you read the old philosophers or even if you, you know, touch base with anyone who's been looking at, uh, you know, theology or what is it to be human, even going back thousands of years, it'll resonate. You know, the ones who were doing a good job with it back then, who were really exploring at the heart of what it means to be human, it all holds true whether or not there's these social problems that we think are devastating or taking us out of line. And they are, by the way. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying that being a human being is an inside job. And there's something about really being capable or functionally capable of uh, drawing on the fact that being a human being is not in any inherent way related to the world events, the external events that are going on around us. The idea here is that we are, you know, the, the capacity to bring forth our true self, to be with other folks and to allow for them to bring forth their true self so the communication and connection can take place on a harmonic resonating level um, in my work, and this is, I, I think I've never run across anybody who really uh, has much of an argument to it, is that connecting with another person or connecting with a group of people or connecting, being like actually, um, yeah, resonant with another group or another person is really where the source of healing comes from. And we all need to heal. We, we came here with some core wounds. We've got, we've maybe uh, received some core wounds on our way through. Uh, you know, we're only going to be here for a relative short period of time. And healing takes place inside the conversations that we have or inside the self-expressions and receipt of self-expressions and shared self-expressions that we have with other human beings. So how did you go from being a psychiatrist to what you are now doing in terms of mm -hmm. helping people bring their voice into the world, their authentic, it sounds like their authentic self. Yeah. Well, ultimately, it's kind of a hilarious question. But it's, first of all, of course, I'm still a psychiatrist. But second of all, um, I went into psychiatry for this reason. See, back in the day, that's what psychiatry used to be. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I, uh, I, uh, I, I really wanted to communicate, I, I was born to a family that had two older brothers, 10 and 14 years, my senior and on the day of arrival, as I'm told, you know, they were expecting me to be the bundle of joy that brought all sorts of communication and connection to a family in chaos and disarray. And I think I did a pretty good job with that for the first couple of years. They, they taught me how to be precocious. So I knew how to read and I knew how to do math when I entered kindergarten. And my peers didn't know how to do all that. But I, I could really tell that communication was really what I wanted to do. 
So I thought that was going to happen in school because I couldn't imagine them teaching anything else but communication. I didn't see how there was anything like more valuable than that, but it didn't happen in school at all. It didn't happen in elementary school. It didn't happen in junior high or high school. So I, uh, I, by that time, I was getting a little bit uh, disillusioned with the whole idea that school was going to teach me how to communicate. Most of my communication was being done outside of school, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, well, you know, I love the helmets and, and it was only 40 miles west and uh, actually halfway between, you know, on my way from Detroit to Chicago. I grew up in Detroit and I went to the University of Michigan and I went there with the Who whole did I? Oh, OK, then go blue. I mean, that's what we have here. So uh, I went there and really decided that, um, you know, that was Ann Arbor was going to be where I learned how to communicate. Uh, again, that isn't how it went. I, I, you know, I was in the engineering school for a year and a half and it was like, this is not going to work out. I need to leave. So I dropped out. I did what any self-respecting person in the 70s might do uh, when they drop out of University of Michigan, and that was get on a Greyhound bus and take it all the way to Berkeley, California, so that I could learn how to, you know, really catch up with myself, like uh, find myself. And and I did. I did do pretty well, actually, in Berkeley, California that summer, but um, I didn't have a job. So when I called home, my mom told me, you know, why don't you come back, get yourself a degree, then you can go out and find yourself after your degree. And I was like, you know, moms will be that way. I'm like, okay, let's give that a try. So I sauntered back to Ann Arbor, tried one more time. Uh, this was 1978 and nine. And, um, you know, I was looking for a, a degree that would, you know, keep me sustained. And there was this new field coming out called computer science. And there, the, the computer building in Ann Arbor was actually one of the only, if not the only computer in all of Michigan. So this was really cool that I got to actually learn how to do Fortran and COBOL and all that in this computer room. I'm creating punch cards. And anyways, it wasn't very cool at all. It wasn't communication. It totally ate me up and I dropped out again. And this time I, when I came home, I, I came home to my mom and, and, and my dad and it's like, I'm not doing school. It's not, where, it's not where it's at. I'm not doing it. And they were okay with that. They got me an application at a state psychiatric facility uh, on, in Pontiac, Michigan. And uh, I began working as a childcare worker in, in 1980. And uh, as, that, as that unfolded, I really started getting what I already knew. Little Freddie knew it long before he went to elementary school, which is that communication, connection, and creativity are at the heart of all healing. And uh, I was healing. They were healing. My, you know, these kids are, what, six or seven years younger than me. And we were having a great time. You know, I worked afternoon shift. I took them all over Michigan, all over Southeast Michigan. It was really fun. You know, we had, we had uh, field trips and played ball with them and, you know, helped them in the evenings. The thing I hated was the way psychiatry was treating these kids. Mm. So I couldn't stand it. We would call psychiatry. Joe, Tony would be up too late or Jimmy and Johnny had gotten in a fight and the psychiatrist would come down and, uh, you know, interview Jimmy for maybe three or five seconds and interview us for five seconds and then and then take out his weapon. I'm sorry, his his pen and then write some stuff into the chart. And from there, we would have to then go get Johnny and hold him down and kind of pull down on his sweatpants and jam him full of injectable antipsychotic adult grade medication oh, and put him out of his misery. Now, the truth is, this stuff is still going on every single day all over this country. It's not any different. It's not any less. It's not any less common. So the idea that it was barbaric then hasn't been changed. So 
But what I really got is that it was unacceptable, intolerable, and barbaric, and I couldn't do that every single day for too long. I did do it for a few few years and then made it my business to go back to school, this time at Wayne State University, complete my degree. And the whole idea was I was now going to be a psychiatrist to bring communication and connection back into the mental health world. Over the next 13 years, I was just kind of laser focused on getting that, especially in Chicago, I really got an opportunity to, uh, Wrigley Field didn't have lights yet. And, you know, I had tickets for Jordan and the Bulls all every, every year. And, uh, you know, I had a great time in Chicago, but really I became a psychiatrist. Uh, you know, I, I completed medical school downtown in Northwestern. And the idea again was that communication and connection was what I was bringing for. So not so different than where I am now, unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, Prozac was introduced to the world in 1987 while I was in Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And Prozac just shifted everything. You know, it, uh, it was as big a paradigm shift as anything going on today. I mean, Prozac was on the cover of Newsweek. It was on the cover of Time. There was talk about putting it into the water supply of Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago. And you know, the idea was is that this medicine made it be that if you were uncomfortable, that was that was there was something wrong with you. Would you would you uh, compare it today, perhaps to like the the reemergence of psychedelics, the way that we're thinking about psychedelics? That's interesting. I think that's a really interesting idea. I think that there is, you know, this hope or dream that if we uh, partake in a particular substance, we can, you know, cure our ills. Uh, I think there is a, a resonating value, you know, what we're hoping for, like, you know, if psilocybin gets approved, or maybe we can have, you know, psychiatrically monitored MDMA treatments or something. Um, I think that you could compare it to that, except psychedelics actually work. So mm. that, that's a problem. And, and so <laughs> Prozac, Prozac doesn't work. Only a problem for those who can't patent it and make money off of it. Uh, well, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and especially, yeah, especially in the plant medicine phase. But that, I think we can go down that, Ray, if you want. But what I'm, let's just get to yeah, get yeah, this yeah. part taken care of, which is before too long, after I graduated, now I was becoming a psychopharmacology, like, like, like maven. Like over the next 30 years, I wrote well over 100,000 prescriptions. I had well, I had approximately 40,000 patients. And, you know, over that time, people who have at least called me their doctor for a minute, you know, that I took care of them or I entered their chart. So my soul was being split. You know, each time I wrote a prescription, I knew that it wasn't really what I, I came here to be. In fact, of course, I went into the field so that I wouldn't have to write the damn prescriptions. And now I was doing it every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, I, it's been a little bit of a personalized journey since 2006. It was a big year in 2006 when I started doing something entirely radical, which was called um, taking people off medicine. I mean, I know, I know, shocking. And, and, you know, it's like, it's amazing that we are not shocked by putting people on medicine, but we are stunned that anyone would actually want to take people off of medicine. Um, Is there a place for the medicine, do you think? I struggle with this because I know that there are some people who get a lot of relief from being on these meds. We could That's a whole other conversation I'm sure we could discuss. And I often in my practice really work with psychiatrists who do get people off medication. I mean, that's a big part of, of the work that I do is shoring up 
people's inner resources so they can cope and they don't need the medication. But do mm -hmm. you think there's a place for the medication? I mean, if you found something that works, by golly, absolutely stay with it. Um, otherwise, uh, for the hundreds of millions of people who aren't that, um, there's something to be said about using alternative ways, not alternative, I mean, just like not using medicine. Medicines right. are intended in many cases to not only perpetuate, but sometimes uh, worsen or even cause the symptoms they're marketed to treat. And uh, so like that's how they're designed. Iatrogenic, iatrogenic illness. Well, yeah, even, yes, exactly. Iatrogenic, in, meaning if you started an antidepressant and you weren't depressed when you started, you would be soon. It actually creates the depression. If you start an anti-anxiety agent, as you know, almost everybody who's on like Xanax or Klonopin or something like that has like some version of panic attacks or worsening social phobia or worsening post-traumatic stress disorder because these conditions, these medicines actually indeed by design, and I'm not sure it's intentional, that's not my point, um, make things worse. So is in some ways, you know, the people who find relief uh, are paying a pretty big price in many cases. For instance, they're removing all their feelings so they don't feel anxious. Um, they're removing all their feelings so they don't feel depressed. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. sort of like, you know, if you went to a doctor with a mosquito bite on your elbow and he, uh, you know, he's a mosquito bite specialist and you were like, I, I can't handle this mosquito bite anymore. Uh, it just keeps getting bigger. And they says, okay, well, it only hurt for a moment. Uh, but I have the cure for you. And then he's like, okay, whatever you want. You're the specialist. And then he, uh, he actually amputates your arm from the, say, chops from the off shoulder your up. Right, right. And so now you're, then, you're, I guess the mosquito bite doesn't itch anymore. Exactly. And if right. you stay myopic like that, it's true. There's relief. If what you're looking at is a mosquito bite, it is gone. It really is gone. Mm, that's you, a great metaphor. And, 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 but everything, there's a lot of things that are gone along with it. And um, it's not the medicine's fault. It's not even the industry's fault. It's not even the big pharma's fault. It's not anyone's fault like that. So what's, when, once I realized in 2006 that when I took people off of medicine, they got reliably way better. Uh, and then I started taking even less, more people off of medicine, people who were a little bit, um, you know, at the, even a little bit higher risk, I suppose. And they got way better. People just got way better as we started to remove their diagnosis and remove their medicines mm. uh, reliably, like reliably better. Once you got past the first little round where these medicines also have another kind of associated uh, uh, quality in that when you discontinue them, you get a spike of the symptoms that it's marketed to treat. So in that spike of the symptoms it's marketed to treat, most people think, oh, this is my condition returning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because my condition's returning, I don't like taking these medicines, but I hate this even more. So I'm going to go back to medicine and stick on it forever because I'm a sick soul. But the truth is, you're not a sick soul. These medicines are actually built to give you that hump when mm -hmm. you come off of it. Yep. So everyone knows this. That's the other thing. Everyone knows it. It, like everyone knows it. It's not like I'm ever saying anything and people are like, that's not true. It's like, no, 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 that is, it is really true. Well, if you've ever walked someone through that process, you'll, you see it. And, yeah, the, it's and right the there. fear that sets in of, oh no, my illness is back. 
Exactly. You know, this my, feeling. I shouldn't even say my illness. This feeling is back. Yeah, exactly. And people, people, and that's what's supported in that in in the ongoing you know community conversation. It's a it's the the rabbit the rabbit hole is that one thing you can get is that when a patient we'll call a patient and we could call them anything, you know, a client, a friend, a, 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 a human being uh, comes to us. They uh, want confirmation that there's something wrong with them. Uh, we are in the field that unlike any other field in all of medicine, if you tell somebody there's nothing wrong with them, they get flipping furious with you. Mm-hmm. I know now, whenever can, people are like, can we talk about like, do I have to bring bad stuff to you all the time? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Right. Tell me what's going great in your life. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and maybe nothing's wrong. You know, maybe there's nothing wrong even when even when you're miserable. Mm-hmm. Like being miserable in a miserable situation is right. 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 Like right. being entirely depressed in an extraordinarily depressing situation is an appropriate response to the situation. Exactly. Right. Nothing wrong with you right. or being really nervous about a future that is really unclear or, or even looks treacherous or dangerous. A power to you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't feel good. Mm-mm. It doesn't feel pleasant. But we've changed the world about like what normal looks like is we're supposed to feel either either neutral or pleasant. Right. And, and, and it's just, it's just insane, actually. It's just the essence of insanity. And it's why at this point, our field of uh, psychiatry uh, and psychopharmacology has the greatest profit margin in the history of planet Earth, the greatest profit margin in the history of planet Earth. And it has nothing to do with the, the companies themselves. We don't blame the rat poison company for creating rat poison. And it's not the companies that are driving it. It's the idea that we are so certain that there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And because there's something wrong with us, we are also certain that we want, we want the marketed um, version of the uh, treatments that are being offered. You know, after all, you know, um, we, if we... You know, if you even look at like McDonald's or Burger, you know, these things like people line up across the street for the stuff that makes them worse. Mm -hmm. And and the truth is, that's also true with these uh, medications and frankly, uh, also true with most therapies that they're designed to perpetuate the condition. And it's not like it's evil. It's not like the therapists are evil. It's not like the psychologists or psychiatrists are evil. It's just the system is designed to perpetuate itself, as many systems are. When you start getting that what's really here in the sovereignty of the person seeking help is to get that even if you're totally miserable, there might be nothing wrong with you. In fact, there probably is nothing wrong with you. When you get that there's nothing wrong with you, that it's completely like within the human realm to be entirely un, you know, unhappy at times or to have an experience that is entirely uncomfortable at times, then we can start looking at each other really directly across the table and get that, yeah, we're two human beings uh, trying to walk through a life that's nearly impossible to negotiate and we're all doing it the same. We have no idea what's coming around the corner and 
uh, everything that we think we know is made up and everything that we know that we know is even more made up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, when we start getting that we're sharing that experience, then there is a relief that can occur inside of that resonating harmonic uh, connection Mm -hmm. between two people. And it's amazing when you actually get there with people who have gone, you know, years or a whole lifetime of never being connected to how Mm -hmm. right at that moment, Mm -hmm. at that moment, the existential angst, frankly, right? Like that we all deal with. Hi, everybody. I have a new offering that a few of you have taken advantage of so far, and it is a spiritual consultation. So, so many of you had reached out to me with like questions or wanting to know how to open up more, wanting to know, you know, what you should do in this area of your life or that area of your life that I thought I would just try to offer a new way to connect with me. So these are spiritual consultations. They can be 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And in that time, we talk about kind of what questions you have, whether it's about opening up more spiritually, whether it's about something in your life. And we really kind of come to an understanding and a conclusion about what the next steps you need to take to achieve that are. Again, this is new to me. I've done a few of them. They are phenomenal. I am so enjoying them. It is not a therapy session. Be clear. It is not a therapy session. It is not a medium reading. It is somewhere in between. We incorporate meditation and intuition and manifestation and intention and all of this in like a very brief period of time, but it has been extremely powerful. And the people that have done it have walked away feeling like they really had something tangible that they could carry with them and help them move their life forward. So if this is something you're interested in, please reach out to me. I don't have a lot of spots for them. So I'm only doing maybe one or two a month but keeping a wait list for those who are interested. So you can find that on my website, dramyrobbins.com, and you can go on there and click on spiritual consultation. I will get you scheduled. It might be a month or two out, but I am trying to get everybody who's interested in. So go ahead and check that out. If you have any questions, just email me about it through the website as well. What is the alternative you propose to this? Other Mm -hmm. than sinking into a deep, dark abyss. At all times. Yeah, I think the, the alternative is really, you know, there there are ways of getting that this is a this is a temporary lifetime that we're living. And, and the idea is that it's an inside job to be a human, right? And so uh, meaning that your outlook is designed by something like an author that is within you. So once you stay steady, you know, if you can stay steady into uh, really being careful about what you put into your system, through your mouth, through your eyes, through your ears, uh, through what you touch, you know, even how you think, then you might be able to adjust yourself to being a little bit more functional, a little bit more alert, a little bit more genuine and authentic. And I think that's really important is to get in touch with one's true self to one's true voice. And that takes some exercise. It takes practice. It takes being with other people. You can't do that one alone. Um, Then you don't have to like constantly be on, on uh, in conflict with who it is you're presenting yourself as versus who it is you really are. So many people really spend so much time to pretend being someone else than who they are in order to protect the person that they are. And, you know, that's a super ludicrous, completely preposterous, ineffective way of protecting oneself. Yet we do do it. And it's okay. It's a, it's like, you know, we all learned how to do it as kids and we just never went back and repaired it. 
So being really careful with what we put into our system, because we become that which we put into our system, being really careful, perhaps, of, you know, finding a, a mindfulness or a practice that allows one to quiet so that you can actually see the world that you're pretending to walk through or attempting to walk through. Um, getting the essence of what it means to be in, you know, breathing, to be in movement, to be of service, to be uh, curious, to be honest, to be, you know, the high vibrational ways of what it is to be human um, are always available. They're always available. Even if you get into a rut, you know, some of us get into a rut where we become shamed or blamed or, you know, uh, guilty at some level. And then we don't give a hoot for a while and do stupid stuff or stop caring or, you know, hurt somebody. You feel like give giving up. up. Yep. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah. Welcome to humanity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that. So, so the key is and you talk I want to get into this this concept of creative eight. But the key is to. Recognize that that this is what it means to be human is that you have that feeling of sometimes wanting to give up, but you don't give up. You continue to move through that feeling and get to a more hopeful place at some point, which sounds so simple in a lot of ways, but I well, know it's you not know what? working with people. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I'm no longer of the world that you don't give up. I mean, in some ways you do give up. I hear you. No, so some people give up, they give up for a half a day. Maybe they don't jump off or, you know, jump off the bridge. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of final and you don't have to do that one. But giving up is sort of also part of life. Like, you know, there are periods of time for hours or even days where giving up is just what people do. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you're sick when you give up. It means that that's the experience that you're having at this very moment. Now, once someone reaches that level of despair, one of the things that's really important is if you're with yourself and this thoughts and ideas about giving up or banging around that noggin of yours, uh, it's pretty impossible to get out of it without at least trying to have a conversation with another person. So that's the key piece, I think. I think so too. The conversation with another person. I'm a huge talk. I mean, obviously it's what I do for a living and I have my own helpers. Um, but once I talk through things, it's like clarity. Yeah. There's a whole new sense. You know, you get to be an entirely new person. So this is, I think my third podcast already this morning. And, you know, the, the dips and turns that I've taken in discussing different things with different hosts um, has allowed me to, you know, really grow and develop already. And in ways that I didn't know I was going to learn or have to explore or get to explore or uh, wonder about during my day. But if I stay around with me, the best I can hope for is to bring back old stuff to myself, because I can't really come up with new stuff for myself. Mm -hmm. I can only like rehash what is here already. Uh, when when I stay in wonder, I stay in curiosity, and I stay in, in inquiry at some level, um, then I get to learn new things. And I get to learn how much I don't know about any particular thing or what I could know. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about what you really want to get is this tremendous smorgasbord, this potpourri of, of human experiences are all exquisite in their own nature. Now, people say, no, misery is not exquisite. Well, actually, misery is exquisite. I, I'm not looking forward to the next time of being miserable. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what an incredible experience that humans have that they can perhaps become miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let, think about something, see something, wonder about something, be afraid of something, be regretful of something, be uh, angry at something, and become miserable. Like, how interesting. We create so much of our own feelings and emotions, and then we live with them as if they're our reality. Mm. But the truth is that we don't have to do that. And all we really have to do is connect, you know. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed as I started doing this work that it sounds like you'll resonate with is upon connecting, I'm super interested in the authenticity of another person. I'm way more interested if they're coming from their own true self than whatever drips out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Like they could say something that's completely diametrically opposed to what I think is so. And I could be totally respectful of them as long as they're speaking from their truest self. And if it's coming authentically, I have a much better chance of actually listening to them and then interchanging with them. When people are inauthentic, when they say things about important issues, you know, like just joining the band or trying to butter me up or trying whatever, that stuff is just irritating and doesn't really hit home as being true or even relevant. And where do you sense that? How do you sense that authenticity versus inauthenticity? It's a really great question. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, I think I, I think we do. Except the truth is that we know what we're talking about. We're all authentic, please. We're all we're all in here. We know when people are being themselves and they're not. We can we can see pretension. We can see duplicity. But we, we don't see, listen to it, right? That's Sometimes. right. That's right. Exactly. But we can. Mm-hmm. We know when someone hits home. You say, you know, when someone hits home with authenticity, you're like, wow, he or she is amazing. And we know because there's a ringing, a resonance with all of our uh, humanity. You know, we're not that different from each other. And when someone hits home with their truth, which might be a little more daring, uh, it might be a little bit more, um, maybe a li- seemingly a little bit more risky or, uh, you know, more authentic, like, oh, wow, he or she is actually saying something that I've thought before, but I've never had the guts to say you know, there's, there's something like, um, yeah, I don't know exact. It's not like there's a center here, but it's sort of like, look, there's a truth. And then there's all these other things that we make up to surround the truth. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the truth. that's just way different than everything else. That's not the truth. Well, and I think you've used this term a couple times, which is really ringing true to me is resonance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This yeah, ringing true like, to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this notion of resonance. I mean, we talk about it with heart coherence and resonance. And when I think about vibration and just thinking about higher vibrational frequencies and how you feel when you're with or listening or whatever it is to certain things or certain people. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's our experience that gets layered onto that that makes it difficult for us to trust that authenticity at times. I couldn't have said it better. That's a really good point. And there is, there is a resonance, you know, there's a re- that's what, and that's where healing takes place. I have worked in, you know, prisons. I've, I, mm. you know, I was at Folsom state and I was at uh, Pelican Bay and I've worked in multiple inpatient units all over the country actually. Um, and uh, you know, there are some people there who haven't been heard um, mm-hmm. for decades. And when you go in there and actually connect 
with any of these people, prisoners or or inpatients, frankly, even correction officers, but that's a whole new story. Um, it's amazing that the healing, what the healing is that can occur right that very second, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have exposed and then you have created uh, a, a new start, a reset for another person by being able to be curious about who they are as a human rather than seeing them through the filters of this is a, you know, a felon or this is a schizophrenic or this is mm -hmm. a correction officer. <laughs> so let's quickly talk about the creative eight. Can you run us through kind of what they are and sure. how we move into that mindset of creating in the way that you talk about in the book? Yeah. So the creative eight was just a, is kind of something, you know, people kept on asking me, well, when you took them off your medicine, you know, when you gave away their diagnosis, what'd you replace it with? I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know, nothing. Their humanity, you know, their humanity. That, so I decided that I probably had to figure out something to replace it with. And <laughs> what I noticed was that when we are creating, when we are creating uh, through the performing of the visual arts or any of the artistry, you know, we're, we're really creating every single second. You and I are doing a massive job of masterpiece right this very moment and choosing what to say and choosing how to say it and standing where we stand. There is a massive amount of multidimensional creativity going on right here already in this conversation, not just with me and you, but with everyone who's walking the face of the earth. Every next move is taking a whole lot of creativity. Mm. But when we start looking at formal creativity where we're actually creating, so art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, and gardening were the first original eight. Um, I noticed that the negative vibration symptoms while I'm creating now, so uh, not just like listening to Maroon 5, but actually like, like playing music, you know, like uh, taking out a harmonica or putting some sticks on a coffee can or pulling out the ukulele or whatever, whatever you got here. Um, while I'm creating, my negative symptoms simply disappear. And so I really noticed that it's it's really just a function of my self-expression being thwarted that has me feel like I'm mentally ill in the first place. We're so dependent mm -hmm. on words and listening and this interchange of vocality, like our our vocal cords and your ears and then and then process and then fix and then choose the right word and send it again and so complicated. It's so complicated to get even one sentence out there. So you have to be pretty articulate just to have a hope of getting that idea over to the other person. But the truth is, by the time it gets to you, it's unlikely to be anywhere near what I thought I was saying. When we're totally uh, dependent on vocal and ears, we're missing all sorts of forms of self-expression that humans have developed over time, such as mm. art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening. And so in the process of the therapy, I just found, it, I could call it therapy, intervention, and whatever. The idea was that to get everybody to activate three of these a day. So even for one minute at a time, do some art for a minute, do some dancing for a minute, and do some gardening for a minute. And when we do that, we just sort of tweak it and remind ourselves that we too are creators. Then, you know, my hope is, and I really have found that the creative eight, uh, when properly placed in front of people who's like, I don't know, I'm a bad artist. I don't know how to sing. 
it's amazing the pleasure and the resonance that can take place in the world of self-expression and then the removal, fr frankly, often the diminishment or in not such a rare case, the actual disappearance of a sense of being sick uh, can can take place. Mm. So uh, the creative is aid is back now because it's, it's involved with my true voice technology and the true voice technology is really helping people find that true voice, really find their genuine self explore for real what's what's there that they are here on the earth to, you know to be about it doesn't have to be a really big thing it can be about you know just uh opening up with your with your child or your friend your colleague your uh the boss in my true voice course this time around i'm incorporating the creative eight each week so like this week for instance in my uh, tvp um the fifth week is drama so they, we've already done art, we've already done music, we've already done dancing, we've already done singing, and now it's drama week. So uh, the people in my course, they've been invited to put together five minutes of drama, five minutes of mm -hmm. like, you know, pretending to like be an actor. And they're going to incorporate the first four, art, music, dancing, and oh, singing cool. into the drama and then present it to the class. And that's so exciting. You know, I mean, these people are literally getting their lives totally reoptimized and reactivated by just going back into the areas of life that aren't okay. simply vocality to find their true self and bring it forward. Wow. That's amazing. It is. It is amazing. It's actually super fun. It's, it, it's super fun to just be a source of people finding their true voice. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I'm, I'm finding this more and more or I'm feeling a pull for this more and more is this notion of being in community and the power of being in community and helping each other kind of learn and grow and learn from each other as well as you who, you know, has maybe a little bit more experience, but, exactly. but you have experience through your lens and everybody else brings their own experience through their lens and we can all learn in that way from one another. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah. So the newer book, the book has a, a shocking title. It's called Find Your True Voice. So the book is called Find Your True Voice and, and, and findyourtruevoicebook.com. If your listeners actually go to findyourtruevoicebook.com and sign up there, I'll send you a copy of the actual free book, you know, the actual book and you get the book and I'll be even pick up shipping. Uh, and uh, these are people, what I really want is I want people who are truly interested in maybe stepping into the community. The idea, the community that you're talking about is called the True Voice Tribe. And um, what we're really looking for are people who really get that this is urgent times. And now we start looking at the external world. You know, the idea that we are being contracted, constricted, restricted, uh, that we're being canceled or being mitigated and monitored and censored. These are difficult times to speak our true voice as we're being surveyed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, there is friendships are on the line a lot of times or, or just immediate already annihilated relationships right yeah already annihilated and you know and so you no longer have a group of people that you can trust the people you used to trust are not there anymore in many cases and it's urgent times to get that true voice of yours out there and to get it out there in a way that it can be heard and then to you know the the key ingredient about true voice is really to listen in other words true voice is not about you know getting the courage to stand on a mountain and and tell everybody that you hate your mother-in-law. That's not, that's not true voice. True voice is about really listening for how to move this conversation forward, how to uh, move the needle forward, uh, what is really being called for, what contribution is being called for, and then delivering that. Um, so this is the True Voice tribe that does that. This is the True Voice technology that does that. I've walked um, you know, a number of people in 
in my course in the True Voice podcasting course from zero to podcaster. So these are, I find podcasting to be one of the last remaining vestiges of, you know, a space where you can speak your true voice and land it on people who are eager and ready to listen and respond to what it is mm -hmm. that, you know, what we're doing here today, if it lands, as it lands on listeners, any listeners who are still on this conversation, we are affecting their lives. And, you know, we are opening up possibilities for them. So I invite people to step in and uh, world, the world depends on it, actually. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I, I believe that so strongly right now, now more than ever. Right. Maybe. This is not just a techno geek thing or something. This is like, this is all of life depends on this. Without a true voice, you know, without a voice, you're never going to be heard, first of all. Mm. And without a true voice, uh, no one will ever know you. Mm. Now, mm. without a voice, you can be heard in, for sure. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that that's mm. happening. It's no problem. If you don't want to speak, you can be heard in. Mm -hmm. But with a true yeah. voice, yeah. we can really end wars like all wars. In fact, every sing single challenge that we have on the outside world uh, pales in comparison to the threat that losing our true voice really is mm -hmm. on humanity. Mm -hmm. Because without our true voice, everything that's happening out here will just continue as it is. And the future mm -hmm. looks pretty bleak and grim if we can't actually speak to what's here and what needs to be said or dealt with. Um, it's like having a brush fire without an extinguisher and without an extinguisher, that brush fire is going to go to forest fire and could burn down the whole, you know, the whole community. Uh, the same thing here, except it's a worldwide community. If we don't speak our true voice, well, then uh, we're going to get the world we deserve by staying quiet while things are going on. So Dr. Fred, can we do a quick speed round? Sure. Okay. Spirituality means. Um, it means tapping into a reality that is over and above the three-dimensional reality that we're uh, taught is normal in school and mental health education. I love when I'm talking to like MDs and they, they throw these words in there. It makes me, makes my heart smile. <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me happy inside. What is something most people don't know about you? Most people don't know that I am a dual citizen uh, also in the state of Israel. Ah, that's cool. Why aren't you moving there right now? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> what is one thing you are really looking forward to right now? Uh, I'm looking forward to the unfolding of this, this course. It's my opus. And as you get the True Voice Tribe community, you get me twice a month. And it's just an opportunity to really um, spark this important piece of why I came here on the earth in the first place. I invite you for sure and all of your uh, listeners to please join up. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say it's more important than whatever else you're buying, but it is. Mm. What is one thing you're grateful for right now? Mm. More than anything in the whole world, I'm grateful to be living with my wife. Um, and through our difficult times and through our great times, uh, you know, we met each other about five years ago and then we married uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and we have these three cats and without her actually, you know, taking care of me and keeping all the keeping all the stuff in place mm -hmm. that somehow she gets done and her love of me and her listening for me. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere near. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're I wouldn't be you. anywhere near as happy as I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even all that, all that happy, but <laughs> <laughs> but I would be anywhere near as happy without Alexander. So that's 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 truth. beautiful. Yeah. What what book is on your nightstand right now? 
I just finished The War of Art yesterday, and I'm reading The uh, Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. What's your favorite spiritual or healing practice? The deeper in nature I get, you know, whether it's to rivers or mountains, uh, I'd say the deep, as, as deep into nature as I can get, that's, that's where I get reset. What is the most transformative experience of your life? The easy answer is uh, the birth of my son, you know, um, that was the first of two children. There's uh, relationships, there's um, plant medicine, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's all sorts of things that have been beautiful and completely on time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Dr. Fred, if people want to learn more about your work, tell us where they can find you. And all sure. of this will also be included in my show notes. So welcome to humanity.net. Uh, that's one place to learn about me. Another place is through the book uh, that we just talked about, the findyourtruevoicebook.com. But really at this point, just emailing me or going to my website and setting up a discovery call is the best way to learn about what I'm doing. Now, I'm also on social media. I'm just learning about TikTok these days and, and finding myself more on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and, and YouTube. I've done 150 podcasts or so as a host, and I'm really finding myself having much more pleasure these days uh, guesting. Mm-hmm. Finally, if people want to be involved in this course, and I, I strongly recommend anybody who's interested in actually carrying through a conversation to come on and at least be part of the community, if not do the whole course. I think the best way to do that, again, we'll have the link in the show notes, but the best way to do that is to come through uh, the welcome to humanity.net and then uh, write to me. Well, thank you, Dr. Fred, for your time today. We clearly had no problem filling the time. Not at all. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>